Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Monday, December 11th edition of the Basement Academy. Hope you had a good weekend, uh, gathering in worship, perhaps uh, doing some Christmas shopping and decorating. Uh, we dive back into our studies in the book of Revelation, and uh, particularly after yesterday's message about the alternative Christmas story, I hope you see some relevance for the book of Revelation against the backdrop of Christmas, right? Seems like a juxtaposition, but hopefully it's a, a, good, a good fit. So I want to start with our morning psalm before we begin a new topic. This is Psalm 131. Uh, I chose it for its simplicity. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. That's it. Three verses. <laughs> it's one of the pilgrim psalms that God's people would sing or chant or recite as they were making their way, ascending up to Jerusalem for worship. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. And one could argue that the book of Revelation itself is a, a thing that is too wonderful. It, it's, there's great matters going on here that it's hard to decipher, to, to understand, to, to unpack. But we press on. Okay, after a week of talking about the last word on judgment, let's move on. Last week was very full. Um, we look now at what Eugene Peterson says in chapter 11. So that would be the chapter you want to read. Again, very rich, very thick, dense, robust uh, set of words and materials and ideas. The last word on salvation covering Revelation chapters 19 and 20. Uh, let, me, let me read chapter 19. And it presents to us two different pictures. And, and both of them tie into the enterprise of salvation that God has uh, been pursuing. So, so the judgment upon the great prostitute fallen is Babylon... That's chapter 18, chapter 19. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries, he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne, 
saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. <laughs> wow. Again, John's vision is graphic dramatic and, and and there's such a contrast between the two images that we have in chapter 19 peterson connects these two as images of salvation and so we have the wedding supper of the lamb in the first uh, portion of chapter 19 and then we have the rider on the white horse riding out uh, for victory uh, in, in battle and so 
even though we've had a couple days of break and we haven't read chapter 18 for several days, we have to connect the story. And so you have this great prostitute in contrast now to the bride. So we have the wedding supper of the lamb. The lamb, Jesus, is the bridegroom. The church, Christians, are the bride. And so we have this contrast playing between the whore, the great prostitute who corrupts the world, and then the bride. And so <clears throat> uh, we know that we're moving to the end of the story because we can just count the chapters left, right? And we will see uh, as we get into chapters 21 and 22, the bride again and the image of the Garden of Eden restored. The story of... Uh, the story of the Bible, we'll say it that way, the human story begins in a garden and it begins with a wedding. The man and woman being joined together, being called to be fruitful and multiply, <clears throat> enjoying uh, the fruit of the garden as it were, a, a holy meal. <clears throat> of course, they turn aside from all that and that sets us uh, into the story of salvation. And so salvation is pictured as a marriage, as a wedding and importantly, the meal that accompanies that, the wedding celebration. <clears throat> when I have the occasion to officiate at a wedding, I'm always invited to the reception, and we typically go. Uh, it's rare when we don't. And often I'm asked to uh, offer the blessing, you know, to say grace before the reception meal. And and I always say some version of this. I thank the couple for the gathering, for inviting us. And then I say, in Scripture, we have one of the clearest pictures of heaven and salvation is a wedding celebration and a wedding reception. And then I will cite this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then I thank them for giving us a taste of heaven. And I believe it. I believe every word. That every wedding, even if it is not a fully committed Christian couple, and, and I do officiate at weddings where the faith commitment's not always very clear. <clears throat> but God be praised, that wedding comes to tell a story. And so... There's three stories that are woven throughout the scriptures. The, the creation story, obviously we know Genesis. In the beginning, God creates the world. He creates the man and woman to bear his image, places them in the garden, draws them together. They're called to be fruitful and multiply. The human family grows. And so every wedding tells the creation story. They're like Adam and Eve. The couple's like Adam and Eve all over again. And then as the scripture unfolds, as we read into uh, the Old Testament in particular, we see God making a covenantal relationship through Abraham, Moses, David. There's different expressions of it. <clears throat> it's one covenant, the covenant family. But there's a metaphor, an image that we find in the prophets. The people of God are like the bride and God, Yahweh, is the groom. And, 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 it, and it's centered around the covenantal promises. And so every wedding, the couple exchanges vows. Those vows are the covenantal promises. And so 
every couple, every bride and groom are retelling the covenant story of God initiating relationship, entering into this relationship of, of trust and grace and protection. And then, of course, we have in the New Testament, Paul in particular, <clears throat> in the book of Ephesians, that marriage is a holy mystery that reminds us of Christ and the church. It, it portrays Christ and the church, the bride as the church, the groom as Christ, laying down his life on behalf of his bride. And so <clears throat> salvation as a marriage and the, the reception, the celebration of that marriage is what's given us here in Revelation 19. And then, of course, there's this shared meal. And we, we connect this to the Eucharistic meal, to communion, to the Lord's Supper. The wedding supper of the Lamb is the Lord's Supper. And so every time we take communion at Greenwich or wherever, you know, perhaps in your home if you're not worshiping in person, every time we take the bread and lift the cup, we are rehearsing <laughs> or we're preparing for or having a foretaste of this banquet that John has a vision of this wedding supper of the Lamb, this great celebration that shall be ours finally, fully, forever, one day. And so well, I'm going to tease some more thoughts out tomorrow, but I want to kind of stop here and shift to this other image that just moves in just, I mean, we go from the wedding supper of the Lamb till all of a sudden we have a rider on a white horse and then we've got this great battle. Now we've already touched on the battle theme in chapter 16 with Armageddon, right? This decisive place of encounter. <clears throat> and so the rider on the white horse comes out. Now we have salvation pictured as a, as a battle over which or in which Christ is victorious. Now, if you recall back in Revelation chapter 6, when the Lamb begins to open the seals, we have <clears throat> um, a rider on a white horse going out to conquer. Let me get that for us just so we catch it. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. And then the other seals are open, and we have the other horses, right? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I suggested there... <clears throat> that the rider on the white horse there is the same as we have here in chapter 19. Now, we haven't seen chapter 19 yet, right? But we let the scripture interpret the scripture. I think we spoke about this um, uh, at some length. And so we have it very explicit now, the rider on the white horse and an army of riders on white horses. This is clearly a portrayal of Christ. The one called faithful and true with justice he judges makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. So now we're back to the image of Christ back in chapter one, the opening of uh, 
the book of Revelation. John's initial encounter with the one who walks among the lampstands. And then his robe is dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. Well, John's already written in John chapter 1, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus, the living word, the incarnate word of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we have this picture of Christ. And then I note uh, verse 15, he will rule them with an iron scepter. Oh, that's the very same quotation from Psalm 2 that we read in Revelation chapter 12, that alternative Christmas story, right? This male child who was born that the dragon is trying to snatch up and to devour is the one who will rule the nations, the messianic figure. And so salvation is now presented to us as victory, as a victorious battle. And of course, it recalls Exodus, God being victorious through Moses over Pharaoh, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Joshua goes in and conquers um, uh, the, the promised land, right? The battle of Jericho and so many others. And so we see this picture of salvation as battle, as victory, as pitched battle. It, it's, it, you know, sometimes the people of God are, 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 are falling back and being defeated. Sometimes they're, they're advancing. David uh, was a warrior king. And so this is where the messianic understanding of Messiah coming as a fighter, as a warrior, as a general, as it were, is pictured about David who went out and conquered, starting with Goliath, right, and conquering the Philistines. And then we've got some images from Psalm 2. We've already talked about that, the uh, ruling with an iron scepter. But let me read some portion of Psalm 45. It's a messianic psalm. You are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. And then it goes down and we understand that this becomes a wedding song. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him for he is your Lord. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her and are brought to you. They are led in with joy and gladness. They enter the palace of the king. And so the heading of Psalm 45 says it's a wedding song. And so we see, is, is John drawing an allusion here in chapter 19 to Psalm 45 the, the, the victorious son of David, the one who rides out to conquer in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness, conquering with those sharp arrows. There's the rider with the bow, right? That's Revelation 6. And then it's a wedding song. So, so we have pictured a wedding and then a victorious army or one who leads uh, the, the victorious warrior. Hmm, one wonders.
And so Peterson in his chapter here talks about the meal and the war as two images of salvation. I, I like to tease out more the marriage and the meal that accompanies that wedding celebration. But it, Peterson points out, and I think I'll tease this out a little bit more tomorrow, he teases out this notion of salvation has both dimensions to this. We can think of salvation as relationship, as love, God's love. He loves us and calls us as children and draws us into his family and enters into relationship with us. And and the picture of communion meal, Christ dwells within us. And so there's this intimacy, this connection, this relationship, this community, salvation as all of that. But salvation is also victory over the forces of darkness. It is battle. There's beasts and there's dragons. There's false prophets. And so we see at the end of chapter 19, the beast of the, you know, thrown into the fiery lake. Hallelujah. And this, again, the context of worship. You know, you have the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And so there's this celebration of judgment and defeat of the forces of darkness. Salvation is both of those. We need both of those. And I'm going to stop here and then tease this out more tomorrow, uh, why it's important that we keep both of these images in front of us when we think about salvation, okay? Let, let's close with prayer. Lord, thank you for the victory and the salvation, the defeat of darkness and, and of the, de the devil and, and the dragon and the beast. And thank you for the intimacy and the invitation to join at table, to come to this wedding celebration. And so may we grow and deepen in our understanding of salvation and our appreciation. And may we join our voices with the angels, with the living creatures, with the elders in heaven, crying, hallelujah, salvation belongs to our God. And so guide us as we walk into this new week and through this new day. May we live as the followers of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray and who taught us to pray together saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God grant to you the intimacies and joy of salvation as that relationship with him. But may he also grant you the confidence, the hope, and the joy of victory over the forces of darkness. And so let us walk in that light today. Amen and amen.